0: Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice
1: of their founders.
0: What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This podcast episode is brought to you by 14th Star Brewing Co. 14th Star is a veteran-owned Vermont craft brewery on a mission to brew world-class beer while enriching their community. We are partnering with 14th Star while we spend February and March in Vermont highlighting local makers. Not only does 14th Star make great beer, like their maple oatmeal stout, yes I said maple, but they also have a very strong mission to give back to their community and support fellow veterans. 14th Star believes that every person and business has an obligation to give back to try and make the world a better place. If you're in the Northeast, definitely keep an eye out for 14 Star Brewing Co. What is going on, Ready Eddy podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the co-founders of Wild Zora, Zora Tabin. Zora, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. So right off the bat, for the listener that may not be familiar with Wild Zora, how would you best describe your business to them?
1: So Wild Zora is a basically food manufacturing business. We're located in Loveland, Colorado, and uh, we make paleo snacks and meals, now also instant soups and teas. And uh, we're all about uh, supporting people who are active, who live an active lifestyle and uh, who are also looking for clean food.
0: So what made you decide to start a paleo focused um, food based business?
1: You know what? The funny thing is I was never thinking of paleo. When I, was, when I started to think what I am missing in my daily life, paleo was not a thing yet. There were a little bit of primal kind of going on. But um, in t- 2012, our family moved to Colorado. We were living in UK and also in the Czech Republic where I come from. And back then I was looking for savory protein snacks because all what I saw on the market were these sweet bars. And as we moved to Colorado and we started to go out on hikes and we took our kids, we had all these sweet bars available to us. But I noticed that I would give our kids a bar that had two or 300 calories, but mainly all of it was coming from sugar or fruit and nuts and grains. And I noticed that they would come back in 30 minutes and they would tell me, mom, I'm hungry again. So I was thinking about it and I said, you know, maybe we need a little more protein in our diet. And I started to look into you know, kind of protein, protein options. And uh, I wasn't uh, 100% happy with traditional jerky because it often has, uh, you know, it's too salty, it's chewy, there is only meat to it. Often the meat is conventional and uh, beef in US unfortunately has growth hormones. So I just kind of, I, I could not give that to them. So I actually... I was just kind of thinking. And at that point, I was given a primal cookbook by a friend. And I was one day flipping through it, thinking about savory protein snacks. What are we going to eat when we go out? And there I got the idea of combining meat with organic veggies together. And uh, that's sort of how it started. And then, you know, then there was a long development process in our house. You know, I can go into that if you want me to.
0: That's really interesting. I I never thought of the idea of combining a meat bar with veggies. You know, when I first discovered Wild I was like, huh, (laughs) that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: (laughs) I know. And it is kind of, it's still kind of weird, right? We've been doing this since 2014. So it's been four years, but it's still people are like, what? Meat and veggie bars? Isn't that weird? But isn't it something we eat every dinner? It's especially the crowd that eats paleo. You know, every dinner you have meat and veggies. And I find that a more balanced snack because I, I really look at um, life, um, you know, to, to to live a balanced life. For me, that means to eat clean food. But uh, when I looked at the sweet bars, those would spike our blood sugar. And then because they're full of sugar and carbs. And then I looked at jerky, which is just protein. And I really wanted something that would have both of it. Because what it does to your body, and now maybe I'm getting too technical, but you have, so into our meat bars, we put, you know, all grass-fed, uh, or free-range uh, meats, uh, good-quality meats, and uh, but we also combine it. So we have the protein, but we also combine it with a little bit of dates and apricots. So we have some carbohydrates there, too, and we also have the organic veggies. And what it does to your body, you very quickly get your energy because you have the carbs in it. But then because you have the protein, the protein allows you to go longer, to last longer, because protein, it takes the body longer to break out protein – so then you last, you know, two, three, four hours before you get, you know, to a to a whole meal. So that's sort of how I, I really was looking for a more balanced snack that we would be able to take with us on the go.
0: So before, you, you started WildZor in 2014. Before that, did you have any experience in food production?
1: Uh, none. I was, for several years, I was a mom at home, so I did plenty of cooking. And I do, uh, you know, I do like, um, healthy foods and I was always researching not so much about dieting, but more about health and, uh, balanced nutrition. And, uh, really before, uh, before I started Wild Zora, I was, um, uh, I had a language school in the Czech Republic. So I was teaching about 60 little kids, ages three to six. I was teaching them English and I had a few customers and they I had a few teachers and they were teaching French and Spanish as well. And, um... And before that, I was also doing some uh, day trading when we lived in London. I, um, I was into currency trading and uh, so I was at home. I send the kids to school and I would go back to my computer. I would open my trading positions and at three o'clock I would close them and I would go back to school. And uh, so that's what I did for some time, but I found it very stressful. And um, so, yes, uh, to answer your question, I had no Uh, background in cooking or in nutrition or in food science.
0: So where did you start when you came up with the idea for Wild Zora? Like, obviously, you had to make a few small, probably a ton of small batches, really kind of perfect the recipes. Like, what was that process like?
1: Yeah. So that all started in our house, you know, ton of research. I was looking at later when I got a little more sophisticated, I started to look at the USDA uh, websites about how to safely cook meat and dehydrate. So there was some, you know, there was a lot of trial and error. And as far as making the recipe, that was the fun, creative part and how it looked like. Basically, I was at home and uh, at that point we just moved to, um, we kind of just moved to U.S. and I was waiting for my Uh, for my work permit, I wasn't even able to work in this country. So I was at home making these meat and veggie bars. And they were not even bars, they were kind of like they were oval and round. And every time kids came home, I would give them a new flavor to try. So the magic or the whole secret is when you make new product, when you make new food product, use kids to test it on young kids, because those are honest and they're going to tell you exactly what they think about it. So that's how it looked like. I would, make a, I would make up a batch and I would use at home an oven and a dehydrator. And then I would feed it to my husband. I would feed it to the kids. I would feed it to the neighbors. And I was getting feedback. And that took several, several months. And uh, then, of course, I got a little more sophisticated and I figured out, you know, how to, uh, you know, looking at the USDA website, how to make it safely. And then um then actually later on i even learned like there is no i can't even start in a commissary kitchen because i was thinking you know this is a this is an unknown thing meat and veggie bars it's so weird like you know we have to really start small and cheap and i'm not going to put a lot of our own personal money into this because it's just too risky so i was hoping i'm just going to go into a local commissary, you know, pay there for a few hours of a day, make my product. But then very quickly, I learned, oops, we got to be in a USDA um, inspected facility. A USDA inspector comes daily. I mean, this is no joke. This is you're starting with raw meat. And that, you know, that changed the whole the way how we had to start.
0: Uh, It sounds like you definitely had a lot of headaches to work through.
1: (laughs) Those those were all challenges, right? I, now looking back, yes, it would be easier to make a paleo cookie, you know, and right, uh, right. something that I can do, you know, after after my regular job or something I can start on a weekend. But with the USDA, I mean, they give you even hours. You can work eight hours a day. It's usually between 6 to 2 p.m. That's their inspection time. And, and that's it. So you really, I mean, you really have to, I had to really commit to the business. and. Uh, and we had to find a USDA inspected facility where we can cook. And uh, there is a funny story to that. We actually ended up buying a burrito business. <laughs> uh, none, of, none of the commissaries locally were USDA inspected. So I just thought, like, you know, where am I going to find a USDA kitchen? And I just took basically a list of all USDA facilities between Cheyenne, Wyoming and Denver. That was as far as I would be willing to commute. And, uh, and I was calling for three days nonstop to every one of them. And most of them were, you know, slaughterhouses, meat plants, processing plants. And they're like, what you need an oven and dehydrator and you want to work here? No, we don't have any of that. And, uh, so I got lucky one day I called a burrito business and they have been making burritos in Loveland for 12 years. And because they're adding meat to it, they are USDA inspected. And they said, yeah, come on down. Maybe we can figure something out. Maybe you can, you know, work here with us for a few hours a week. And at that point, I asked my husband to come with me and to meet them. And um, when we got there, they said, "Uh, no way, we're not going to, we're closing this business down. We are tired after 12 years of doing this. We want to retire. We're done. We're shutting it down. And that, that point, my husband stepped in, who is a, experienced as far as starting businesses and he was like oh maybe maybe there is something maybe we can buy your business so we ended up buying this little small burrito business and uh, which allowed us to also rent and stay in their facility and uh, use their inspection number and that's how we got uh, into a commercial kitchen that was USDA inspected
0: it, does that mean you kept up the burrito shop also <laughs> in addition?
1: No, we only kept a bunch of freezers that were filled with frozen burritos and uh we are in a, it's this uh, this kitchen is still we're still in that building and um uh, so so it's a three-story building and we just fed all our neighbors and all our uh, businesses that are in the same building we fed them frozen burritos and um uh, yeah once we got through that we kept the freezers and some refrigerators but then we had to really you know bring our own equipment and and uh, start from scratch.
0: Hey everyone, just a quick thank you to our sponsor who helps make the Ready 80 podcast possible, Sideline Swap. Being an outdoorsy person usually means that you buy and accrue a silly amount of gear to support your activities. As time goes by and you get new gear, why not sell your old gear to help cover the cost of that new gear? This is where Sideline Swap comes in. You can post your skis, snowboard, or any outerwear in a couple minutes and make back some of the money that you spent on that gear. Not to mention, if you're trying to get a loved one or friend into skiing or riding, which we all know is expensive, you can find awesome gear on sidelineswap.com for a great deal. Some products are even up to 70% off. For more info, you can head over to sidelineswap.com. That's really interesting. Okay. So now that you have the facility set up, you have production somewhat figured out what, how did you get the word out there and start selling these meat and veggie bars? Cause I'm sure to the everyday consumer hearing meat and veggie bars, they're like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And I figured, you know, so in the first six months, it was just me and a USDA inspector who was like coming every day, scratching her head, like, what are you doing here? So I would make by myself within the USDA inspection hours, I would be able to make up to 300 packages. And initially we started with our three uh, flavors with grass fed beef. And we started to take it to farmer's market, to a local farmer's market in Fort Collins is an hour north of loveland so the facility is in loveland and we were doing the market in fort collins and um yeah so during the week i cooked up all these bars to take them to the market and uh that was a great way to test it i asked my husband you know honey can you come with me can you help me sell it and uh he actually did and um yeah. And then we saw what people were thinking about it. You know, do they like it? Do they want something to be changed? Are they willing to pay for it? How much are they willing to pay for it? And we got a lot of good feedback and we actually, our bags were originally bigger and, um, and people were asking us, uh, to actually, that they can't finish it, to put a ziplock on it. And instead we make the product smaller, which also made it slightly cheaper And and it's a single serving. And because we don't put any, you know, nitrites, nitrates, there are no chemical preservatives. We want people to open the package, eat it and be done with it. You know, there is it's not a good way to be, you know, put it a Ziploc on it and then, you know, leave it and oxygen gets to it. So so anyway, so we have uh, we get a lot of we got a lot of our market research basically from the farmer's market. And I would you know, anybody who is starting a food business, that's a great, cheap way to start.
0: Okay, so you, you go through the farmer's markets, you get the feedback, you start really improving the product. How did, you, how did you start to scale this to be a full-time business that now employs 20 people?
1: Right, so then I, I was clear I need a business partner because I did not want to have all this headache and decision-making and all the stress on my own by myself. I didn't want to do it by myself. I am also aware what where I am good at and what I cannot do. So I needed a business partner that would do the part of the business, you know, sales finances that I can do the R and D I can do the production and, uh, I can help in marketing, but I really needed a business partner and, uh, I was looking for one and, uh, I, I ended up finding one. And, uh, you know, my husband, Josh, husband of 19 years became my business partner. And, um, uh, and that's what we started. So I, I got a business partner. I convinced him to start with me. And, uh, and he basically, I was, I was growing the production and I was developing new recipes. And at the same time, he was bringing the product to the first local stores. You know, we started in our local uh, natural grocers and our local Whole Foods, all in the region, stores that we could uh, deliver ourselves. We started at Alpha Alpha's and Lucky's. And uh, that's that's how it all started.
0: What's it like running a business uh, with a spouse?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I, to be honest, I am surprised how much I like it. I know it's maybe weird and people think that it's super difficult. And it is at times because we are still a startup and we're still a small business. So we wear multiple hats. And uh now we're at a point where I am stepping more into sales and marketing, and he is at a point to helping me in production and operations just because he's better with computers and numbers and projections and uh and I on the other hand can help uh, you know talk about the product and um, and be the visionary and so we have to be so we are still in each other business you know we're so we have to be respectful um I have to often stop myself and think first before i say what i think which is hard <laughs> uh, but that's um but that's uh, at the end of the day i think it's really something that brings us together i mean we have we have been together for almost 20 years we have two teenagers now together but it's um i think there's just uh it's nice to work on a uh, on something that we both believe in yeah
0: that's really awesome. Um, okay, so over time, you're you're working through the business. You start to open up accounts locally. Um, how did the growth go from there? Are you mostly uh, in brick and mortar stores, or are you selling a lot direct to consumer? Like, how has the growth been um, mm-hmm. since those early days?
1: So, really, in 2016, we focused all on stores, on retail stores, and uh, we started as much as locally, but in between 2015 to 2016, we were in 800 stores and uh, we were using a broker. We were using a distributor and we were bleeding. We were not making any money. I mean, we were looking at each other. We were calling other businesses who were telling us even a worse story. They were telling us we're in 3000 stores and we can't make money. And um, and I was looking at Josh and I was, you know, thinking like thinking and telling him, honey, if this doesn't work, one of us will have to get a job. And, uh, that's a scary word in his dictionary, but he's, I think better, (laughs) he's more employable in this country than I am. So, so he really, he really disliked that thought. So, so at that point in 2017, we pivoted the whole business and we said, okay, we have to, we have to focus on a direct business. We have to go in only in the stores that will buy from us directly. To keep the margins, and we have to we have to go digitally. We basically have to sell online on our website and later on Amazon. And that's in basically 2017 and 2018. It was all about growing online. And by the end of 2018, 80 percent of our business was coming from online, our website, and Amazon.
0: How are you driving those sales, the direct to consumer? Like I assume you must have started a pretty robust marketing initiative, at least to build the presence online. So you're selling more direct and not relying on the retail shops.
1: Right, right. So it's, I kind of like both strategies, the retail and the, and the online as well, because it kind of supports each other because people will see it in their own online and people have to see it multiple times at multiple locations in order to buy. So I still, you know, I believe that we will always do both of these you know the retail and also digital but in um basically early 2017 i mean we have we're self-funded uh this is a family business we will only grow as fast as we can afford and uh so we had to be you know there was not there was not a fat marketing budget that a vc company would give us and like now go and burn cash and you know let people know about it so so we were kind of, and we're still kind of bootstrapping our marketing. And, uh, but we started to do, um, uh, multiple things. Like we, we really, uh, we grabbed Amazon and we started to do it in house. Today we have a full-time employee. He, he just takes care of Amazon. And, um, uh, we also started to do obviously social media to let people know through that. Uh, we were, we're now doing paid ads, um, uh, We are uh, writing, you know, emails. Emails are a great way to let people know. And also emails are great. Uh, You know, emails are probably from all the digital marketing, you know, possibilities are probably the most profitable. So we started to collect email addresses. And uh, yes, so there were multiple things implemented, you know, over time as we were slowly growing and as we could afford, you know, today we have a... basically a team of three on our marketing team. But at the beginning, it was just Josh himself and, uh, you know, one more person.
0: What's been the hardest part about building and growing, um, Wild Zora?
1: The hardest part, let me think about it. You know, I think, um, Yes. uh, You know, running a business, starting a business, there are plenty of fears that I face daily. You know, the biggest one is probably a fear of failure, right? A fear of not managing people, right? Or not leading people, right? And uh, so there are plenty of fears that, you know, I experience and, uh, but I think you have to, I, I don't get stuck in the fears. I always, I always ask myself, and what if? Okay, what if people don't like your product? Oh, then maybe I'm going to go change some recipes, make some adjustments. Oh, and what if? What if people still don't buy your product? Or what if your marketing strategy fails? And uh, the business, you know, doesn't define me. What if? If the business fails, then I know I can always go get a job. Or I will save up and maybe have a great idea and start another business. So that's sort of how I get around of all the various fears that of course come up daily I always ask myself what if and uh and maybe on the personal side I think you know just giving up the time that I really have for our own children that's um you know kind of not be able to take them to every activity they would like to go or not being at their every recital that they had and uh but looking at it positively, they are growing up to be independent and, uh, they still do plenty of their activities. I just ask them, you have to get yourself there either on a bicycle or you have to walk. And, um, and, uh, you know, they figured out uh, local public transportation. They figured out how to call Uber and, um, they figured out how to cook dinners, they're 13 and 15. And we do have a lot of tacos, I have to admit. (laughs) Our son managed hamburgers and tacos. So we do have a lot of those. But um, I think there is, I'm always looking at the positive inside the negative, you know, so yes, I don't have so much time to spend with you, but you're growing to be independent individuals, And uh, they are growing to be very proud of themselves because of all these things that they had to learn because I didn't have or don't have the time to be always, you know, always behind them.
0: What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point?
1: I think, I mean, there are, there are mistakes every day. There are, you know, there are. Uh, Of course, mistakes in production. There are mistakes of uh, sending the wrong emails to the wrong people. And uh, there are, you know, daily frustrations. But I think, I think everything is pretty, you know, everything is solvable. I think it's all challenges. And um, you just have to look at the mistake, figure out how did the mistake happen, and then take steps so it does not happen again. If the same mistake starts happening again, then, then you really have a problem. But, uh, you know, just look at the mistake, analyze it and try to avoid it, learn from it, try not to do it next time.
0: What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the food, uh, business or just really business in general?
1: I would advise them to have a partner. Definitely. I, uh, you know, the business comes with a lot of stresses and a lot of decisions that you have to make on daily basis. And I think you are so much more stronger if you have a team of two or three founders with different skills. I think it's important, especially in the startup business, you know, have a partner that can do something else what you can't do.
0: I think that's really good advice. Where do you see wild Zora in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road?
1: I, um, you know, I, I consider myself the visionary, but I can't tell you exactly like, Oh, where are we going to be in next 10 years? But you know, in the next year we're going to be in our facility in Loveland where we are. We're going to be happily making uh products that we're making, employing people in the local community in the next five years. Um, I think that would be nice to get into exporting as well and be, uh, you know, within the U.S. market and also outside of the market. And uh, I um, I really found, find satisfaction when, uh, when I see that we're really helping people and not just because. You know, okay, you make tasty snacks, but we have customers that come back to us and tell us, tell us, you know, I have AIP. I can't eat any nightshades. And finally, I found found your product and now I can travel, which I wasn't able to do because I just couldn't find any on the go snacks that would work for me. So that's that is deeply satisfying. And also, you know, uh, helping the local community, employing people, taking care of, of our employees. That's super important to me. And um, and maybe in 10 years, you know, I believe we're still going to be a family business because I really find satisfaction in it. And we're in this for long term. We're not looking to be acquired in five or seven years and exit and then do what? You know, where are we going to go? Are we going to move to Tahiti and retire? I think we would be bored. <laughs> three weeks. So I think uh, I, I don't think we plan to do that. I really like to feel useful and feel that I contribute on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, thinking I, I don't try to live too much in future. I, I'm really working hard to find enjoyment in just every day, pleasure and enjoyment. And, you know, so I can say at the end of the day, oh, this was a, you know, day worth of living.
0: What's the best part about running wild Zora?
1: I think the best part for, um, for me personally, it probably is, um, uh, that I'm in control of my destiny and I do have flexibility with my own time. And, uh, I am not told what to do, which is, I, I, I can't be told what to do. Even Josh knows better.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, uh, so, so I enjoy to have that freedom and, uh, and still being a small team, you know, I have a lot of flexibility with R and D and developing new products like our new soups, the. You know, I did not do as I probably should have done a a deep uh, research analysis, what people would like. And, you know, I came home one day and our daughter, Abby, asked me, Mom, I really like soups. Do you think you can make me soups so I can take them with me to schools? And I thought for about two and a half seconds, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And, uh, so, you know, and then because you're a small business and, uh, you're self-funded and, uh, you can, you can make decisions like, just like that. And, uh, we just released the soups. Um, they're also paleo and they're basically, you know, instant soup. So it's a single serving that you pour into your cup and then you have a, a little sack, warm snack, uh, within 30 seconds. And, uh, yeah, they are highly popular. People are buying them. People like them. And, um, so I like that flexibility about running my own business and, um, And, um, yeah, really contributing, doing, you know, cleaning the whole food, uh, food industry and just kind of helping people to eat clean food. Even, you know, I advise people like cook as much as at home, you know, do, you know, cook at home, have fresh produce, have, uh, fresh dinners with your family. And if you happen to go on the go and you need a product to take with you, you know, read the labels and get the cleanest that you can find on the market.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the progression of the products that you offer. So, like, obviously, you started with the meat and veggie uh, bars. What what was the progression of all the products? You start, you kind of mentioned it with the soups, and obviously, you have the the freeze dried meals. Like, how did this all progressing kind of come together into the full offering you guys have now?
1: hmm. So we started with the yes, meat and veggie bars. And we started with three flavors. They were all with grass fed beef. And that's our barbecue chili. And the one that tastes like pizza. That's my favorite. It has um, Parmesan cheese in it as well. And uh, then later I came up with uh, a few more flavors. So we also introduced a bar with lamb. That's uh, actually currently our bestseller and uh, Indian curry turkey we have. And then we also introduced later two flavors with pork, apple pork and taco pork. And uh, two interesting things about the bars. Um, we were um, kind of very early on, I was approached by, or I actually was doing a demo at a local store when we were still focusing on uh, on being in, the, in retail. And a uh, few people came totally randomly within one demo and they asked me, Oh, we can't eat any nightshades, and uh, and I had red bell peppers in every one of those bars with grass fed beef, and I was I didn't even know what a nightshade is. Josh, do you know what a night what are nightshades?
0: I've heard of them, but I couldn't tell you exactly what they are.
1: <laughs> right, so I I had no idea either. So I went and read, and that's basically like red bell pepper, tomato, potato, uh, eggplant. You know, any kind of black pepper, chili, cayenne, chili flakes. And uh, so all of this causes inflammation and problems to some people and like uh, problems with digestion, uh, digestion system as well. And um, and I was thinking, oh, my God, it's so unfair because nightshades are in everything. Every jerky has black pepper and that's a nightshade. So these people can basically eat, you know, most of the products that are on the, on the market. And uh, so anyway, so over the time, we developed the lamb bar, uh, Mediterranean lamb with rosemary on, and oregano, and the pork bark, the apple pork, and both of those are nightshade-free recipes. So, so anyway, so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of our offering as far as the bars. And then in 2017, uh, in December of 2017, we purchased a company called Paleo Meals to go, and they were making freeze dried meals for like hikers and backpackers. And, uh, we acquired that business in 2017 and, uh, yeah. And the whole 2018, 2018 was about rebranding and, uh, and, um, you know, uh, also, um, figuring out uh, a second production line of this freeze dried product.
0: I love it. It's been a, a nice long journey. I am really excited to see all of the things uh, that come in the future with wild zora and i want to thank you zora for taking the time to come on the podcast share your story share what you're passionate about and the direction that you uh, are taking wild zora and um, if anyone's listening uh, in the month of february you can actually enter for your chance to win um some meat and veggie bars along with some other uh, goodies from wild zora and um yeah with that zora thanks again so much for coming on the podcast and sharing the story
1: of course. Josh, thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready, Ready podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.